Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michelle S. Hi everyone, my name is Michelle. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi Michelle. Sound is good? Okay. Um, thanks a lot, Rashad, for asking me to speak. Rashad asked me to pick a date between November and March of when I want to speak, so I tried to pick the latest date possible because in October, November, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Surely by March of 2019, I'll have a better idea of what's going on, and um, I don't. So anyway, here we go. Um, so the you get a little email when you're asked to, to speak, and in there it said, um, Share your experience, strength, and hope as it relates to the, uh, by focusing on the 12 steps. So that's what I'm going to try to do um, here today and uh, just share, you know, what it was like. Wait, yes, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now in a general way. So I um, was born and raised in good old Sacramento, California. Nobody? Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying I had an eating disorder when I was born. However, I would not eat, and I was extremely underweight, and I almost had to be hospitalized. So ever since, like, way back when, um, I've always sort of had a problem with food. And when I was six months old, my older brother, who was two years old, um, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. <clears throat> and this wouldn't be such a huge part of my story, but it affected everything that we did from that moment moving forward. And my mother's brother died in the late 60s from type 1 diabetes, so you can imagine how scary that must have been for my mother, who had a child who was two years old, who couldn't really communicate what was going on with them um, and had to have insulin shots and all this other stuff. But what happened for me was that um, all the most of the attention got put on to my brother, and I didn't really care for that much as a six months old darn it and um (laughs) and so I um became really interested in sort of gaining my parents attention and felt really powerless over that that no matter what I did they wouldn't pay attention to me and that was really my perception that's probably not even true um now that I've done the steps and look back on it but that's how I felt in, in the moment and um I remember at like five or six years old actively refusing to eat something my mother had put in front of me. I remember she kept putting it in front of me and I just kept shaking my head no and and thinking to myself like, now I'm in control. I'm the one who has you. What, like at five or six? And I really remember that, um, trying to use food as like a game or something else other than nourishment. And that didn't really care, that didn't seem to work. And so I kind of figured it out that my brother was eating about six times a day. And he was, and so they were always in the kitchen. So I thought to myself, okay, well, if I just eat six times a day, I'll get attention, right? If I, if I um, show up in the kitchen and where everyone was, and he seemed to be, you know, getting a lot of this love. And um, so I started doing that. Well, when you're like seven or eight and you start eating six times a day consistently every single day, you gain weight. And I, um, 
I had bought this dress for my um, first communion in the Pretty and Plump section at Sears. Anyone ever shop there? Anyone remember that? Yeah. Um, and which is like, I don't even know if they have that anymore, but I don't even know if Sears is still open. But um, it was it was not pleasant. And so I bought this dress, this white lace dress for this uh, communion that was going to go down. And I tried it on before, like a couple days before. And I don't know, I think it was like a month in between when I bought it and when I had to try it on. And I had gained so much weight, my mother and I had to go out and buy a girdle. So I'm like doing my first communion, walking like so uncomfortable. Like I have a picture of myself actually, of my brother and I at our first communion and I can't even like breathe. And I'm like, how old are you in second grade? Seven. What? And so that's how much food I was eating. And I was just so uncomfortable. The other thing I was trying to do at that time, I was like, none of this is like working at all. So I was like, I'll just like try to disappear somewhere in the background, like, and just forget this life altogether. And um, which is really interesting because if you know me now, I'm not really a person that tries to disappear into the background. I like to um, talk to people. I'm extremely social. And that's not how I was. And so um, I was uh, completely shut off from my feelings and um I like for example like I wanted to be so invisible that like I didn't I didn't want to be bullied so I just went on the side of the bulliers so that no one would pay attention to me like it wasn't I was trying to avoid people making fun I just didn't want anybody to pay attention I was like don't mind me I'm just over here I'll just be in the background because nobody cares about me anyway and I kind of had this like theme of like I don't matter I don't matter hi how are you I don't matter Um, and that's kind of how I ran my life and that fear of not mattering that fear of like not being good enough because no matter what I did nobody would seem to give me the validation that I needed and I started doing this really odd thing around that time as well like I think around nine years old I started praying every single night that um, because they told us to pray every night I went to like Catholic school on the weekends and so I started praying to be pretty and skinny normal (laughs) and I um would pray that every night and then I finally realized that you couldn't um that I couldn't control whether or not I was pretty and so I just focused on praying to be skinny because I could control that and at the same time I um there were like other things going on in the house to where I didn't want to be connected to my body. I didn't want to be in my body. It was not a safe place for me. Um, so it was a perfect storm of a friend coming in and saying, well, this is how you lose weight. You throw up. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Um, and so she taught me about negative calories, which are not an actual thing. I would tell you about them if I knew, (laughs) but she told me how to lose weight and, um, And I couldn't actually make myself throw up enough. So she just said, well, then you just have to not eat. And so I thought that was fine. And so um, I started to, um, in one summer, I lost a significant amount of weight. Do we mention weight? I mean, I lost like 30 pounds in one summer from fifth to sixth grade. And what happened when I went back to school that um, fall is that I got a lot of attention, not only from teachers, from classmates, from parents, other parents, from um, people at the the local um, place where we all, um, you know, did after school sports and stuff like that. So I immediately tied my body to attention, to validation, to self-esteem, to feeling good enough, to feeling worthy. Like, this is fantastic. And at that time as well, I started getting... Um, attention from the opposite sex, which um, 
again, gave me that feeling like I'm worthwhile and I'm okay and I mean something and I'm important. And so everything sort of shifted for me then. And I thought that like everything finally made sense and this is just what I have to do. And there was no way all throughout high school that you, that like if you looked me in the eye and I looked you in the eye and you tried to convince me that somehow losing five more pounds would not make me happy, there's no way I would have believed you. I absolutely was 100% positive and sure that if I lost another five pounds, if I got the body that I wanted, everything would be okay. Everything. Not just, like, the way I looked, you know. And um, this life run on fear was, um, you know, there was no, now that I'm, I'm um, abstinent a little bit, it was, it, it's so clear that, like, there's no, there was no God, there was no guiding force in my life. I was, my head was my guiding force in life, and it took me to some really, really, really dark places, and um, I was also at that time drinking to the point of blacking out, and so it just was like, when you're, when I'm that, when anyone is that young, I think, and trying to manage, like, all of these fears and anxieties and deep-seated wounds and, like, not being attached to your body, like, drinking to the point of, like, not being present makes a lot of sense, I think. And um, I had enough, um, well, I didn't have enough by then. Okay, what else did I do? So I just am trying to, like, breeze through a little bit so we can get to the exciting recovery, juicy stuff. Um, but we're not being that breezy. I'm, like, looking up time. But, um the sort of the culmination of like all of my years of like exercise and eating and all that led me to um, compete in a bodybuilding competition. And I was like, I mean, I didn't just do it, right? I like did it. I um, was on different uh, performance enhancing supplements that are not legal. And I was um, doing all kinds of weird things with my food. And I remember getting on stage and doing the little routine that we do up there and thinking to myself, I am so miserable. <laughs> and that was like such a huge turning point because it was like, this was like, what was going to fix me? And it didn't fix me. I was more miserable than when I started. And that was like devastating. <sighs> But, but, but wait, there's more. <laughs> but you would think, like, <laughs> you would stop there. Um, and I don't know why it's so, like, just hit me like a ton of bricks because I was so unhappy. And I, but I didn't think that was the problem, really. I just thought I was unhappy because I was, like, not eating as not enough until, like, right after that, I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to do the next one. Like, this is how I'm going to, like, train and eat and so that um, I can be more, um, so that I can be better for the next one. And so I started training. And actually, this is interesting because back before I lost all that weight, like I was talking about, I actually, a trainer showed me, he's like, you can do a push-up. No, I can't. I was, like, so overweight. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he taught me. He's like, just push up. He's like, you don't have to do it perfect. And I'll never forget, I pushed up, and I felt so powerful in that moment. And the interesting thing is that when I was training for this next competition, I went down on a push-up, and I couldn't get up because I tore my rotator cuff. And um, I had to get a surgery for that, and the surgery didn't go that well. And I was like, mind you, I was in college during this time, and at this time I was like almost done with my graduate degree. And I was just like 
that was like my thing too. Was like academics. Like I'll just be really good at school, and then people like doing all these things. Like I'll just do this with my body, and then people like me. I'll do this with school, and then people will like me. I'll date this person, and people will like. It's like what other people think about me. It was like paramount to what I thought about myself, um, which is a really hard place to be. And and um, just completely. Oh yes, so. There was just a lot going on. I'm just saying that because there was just a lot (laughs) happening. And I ended up thinking, okay, well, alcohol is obviously the problem. (laughs) And so I ended up getting sober at 23 years old. And um, the reason that's important is because I had a sponsor when I first got sober who told me that there was a lady in L.A. I was living in Sacramento still. She told me there's a lady in L.A. who... um, was in a program that could help me with my eating problems. And I'm like, who, she gave me this lady's number and I'm like, yeah, okay, like I'm gonna call some lady, lady, and tell her that I like, what, like, can't stop thinking about what I'm gonna eat, when I'm gonna eat it, how I'm gonna get it, if I'm gonna get rid of it, da 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 da, like yada yada, calories this. Like, I, I mean, I probably spent, I mean, and I'm not exaggerating, and like 95 to 97% of my day focused on what I was gonna eat, when I was gonna eat it, how I was gonna eat it, if I was gonna get rid of it, when I was gonna exercise, if I was on and on. I mean, just like buzzing. This, like, it was always like the low lying hum, no matter what I was doing. And, um, so I called that lady two and a half years later. <laughs> and um, when I, I so I, I moved down to um, Los Angeles and I was so desperate. So at that time, I couldn't go for I figured 45 minutes, I figured it out, of waking hours was the longest I could go without putting something in my mouth. I could not stop eating. I was so desperate and I couldn't stop gaining weight and it was really scary for me and so um, I called that lady and she met me at a restaurant here on Montana Avenue and um, right is that a street where there's restaurants on it okay I haven't lived here in a while (laughs) I haven't lived here in a while and we sat in the back and I ordered food and I took a bite of it and she ordered like a tea or something and I sat there in this busy restaurant and I cried for an hour and a half and this woman sat with me and for the first time I felt acceptance love I felt good enough and I didn't feel judged and we said probably 10 words to each other in that hour and a half and that woman became my first sponsor and she helped me so much but I didn't get abstinent I feel like all my story I like tell a story I'm like but wait (laughs) that didn't happen either Um, (laughs) but I started coming to meetings and I started to understand what the program of overeaters and honest was all about and she really had what I wanted she had been absent I think at that time about 16 years she was sober and she was also in another program and um, And she taught me a lot of things. And one of the things I'll never forget that she taught me is she used to tell me, leave a little bit of food on your plate for God. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, like, not only do I eat everything on my plate, but also what's in the pantry, the refrigerator, the freezer, you know, down the hall. Like... And um, and she she would tell me things like when I would call her and, and I wanted to eat, she would say things like, clean out a drawer, make a phone call, go to a meeting, go for a walk. 
And so the clean out a drawer thing really stuck with me. So I actually still do that to this day. I, my house is like, I'm not even kidding you guys. It's very clean. And um, it really is. <laughs> because it works, right? Because when that feeling comes up, it's like a 10 out of 10. I got to eat. I got to exercise. I got to, it's like a 10 out of 10. And then I like can do something else and redirect myself. But um, it was really hard in the beginning. So I wasn't able to do that all the time. And I, I ended up um, just not being absent, but we started working the steps. And so for me, um, I was on in the middle of step two, I think, at that time. And this was, this was um, I first met her or called her in September 2012. And we started working the steps, you know, right around that time. And then in, when was it? February 2013, um, I was on, I think, like I said, my second step. And I was doing a lot of writing, a lot, a lot of writing. And I was in the kitchen with my best friend, and I was, like, having one of those days where you had to figure out, like, what to eat for lunch. Like, I have this ongoing joke with my friend. We text each other, like, what do you eat for lunch? You know, like, what does one eat for lunch these days? And, um, and in my head was, like, you could eat this. Should you do with this dietitian? What about this? Person? Like, all of the, like stuff like the calories and the dietitians and the like body like everything was in my mind and it was like and it like stopped and that was it and I I didn't think about food I didn't think about what I was going to eat I didn't think about anything and this like went on you guys for like months like my mind was like completely clear it was like a complete spiritual awakening like I don't know what it was it was phenomenal and amazing um, but wait, <laughs> my abstinence date is not February 2013. Um, and but because what ended up happening is I was so like elated from this. Um, I kind of was like not necessarily like I was doing the steps, but like also interested because what happened as a result of like getting abstinent is that the weight started to come off, and when the weight started to come off, the same thing that happened in like sixth grade started to happen. At 20 whatever years old I was, I started to get more attention, and I couldn't really, I didn't really define um, my higher power. I didn't really know what it was. I had tried to, um, but I started to make other people my higher power again, and sure enough, what ended up happening is I went back into the food harder than I had ever gone back in, and I was still coming to meetings. I was sponsoring people. I had a sponsor, and I went completely off the rails. And the only thing I would just say that I have done for the past six and a half years, is that right? I'm trying to do my math. 2019 minus 2012 is like six and a half because September, right? Okay. It's not February. It's March. Anyway, um, the only thing I've done perfectly is kept coming back to meetings. And that's the thing that I kept hearing over and over and over again. And so I kept coming to meetings, and I was like, I'll never forget one night that I went to some shop over here, and all I was doing was trying to find a street in Santa Monica that didn't have a street light on it so I could eat my food in peace in the dark. And I don't know if anyone's ever driven around in Santa Monica at night. There are street lights everywhere. I'm like, come on, there's got to be a street. And so finally I just pulled over by some, like, dumpster and... And I ended up, I had to throw the food away. I mean, I was doing this, like, throwing away food. Like, on my abstinence is not eating food out of the trash. Like, that's on my abstinence. Because guess what? I threw something away on a Friday, and then that Monday I was stressed at work, and I remembered I hadn't taken the trash out yet. So what do I do? I go in the trash and get it out and eat it. And this is after being in OA for, like, two and a half years. 
So um, if you're struggling or if you're new or if you're coming back or if you've been here and are having issues, just keep coming back because um, it really does really does work um, <laughs> if you just, you know, do the steps. And so th that's really what saved me is the steps and, like, trying to find um, a power greater than myself that could solve my food problem because clearly I could not solve my food problem. And if I could solve my food problem, I would have solved it and I wouldn't have been here. And obviously, like, I had tried everything, um, and I thought everything else was the problem. People, places, things, alcohol, relationships, everything else was a problem. And really, like, the common denominator within all these issues was myself. And so really getting down in the book, it talks about getting down to causes and conditions. And that's um, kind of what I had to do. And I just was in the in the car driving up with with a friend, and one of my favorite... Um, paragraph. I mean, I have a lot of favorite paragraphs in the big book, but one of my favorite paragraphs is on page 25 in There's a Solution. And the, actually the first sentence says, There's a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We had found much of heaven, and we had been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. And when I think of the fourth dimension of existence in recovery, sometimes that looks like not eating after dinner. Like, it doesn't have to be that exciting. My recovery... Um, Thank you. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it really is true. I, um, I don't shoot for the stars these days with my with my food. I just want a simple life with food. I don't want the chaos and disaster. And actually, um, this last time I got up, my abstinence date is September twenty eighth, two thousand and fifteen, and my sponsor is somebody who I sponsored when she was new. <laughs> So I, I, I kind of rethink how I sponsor people now <laughs> a little bit. You never know. Um, <laughs> I have a couple former sponsees here. I'm trying to make, not to make eye contact with them. <laughs> and, um, and it's wonderful because she knows me, and I know her, and she trusts me, and I trust her. And so we already had this relationship. And we worked the steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous um, this time around. And it really – the thing that really – the thing that changed for me this time, the re, the, when I was coming to meetings and not being abstinent, um, what happened was I would come to a meeting, and then, I would, and then I would say, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Then I would stop, and I'm like, okay, you stopped, but you could still go home and be abstinent. Then I would go home, and I'm like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then I'm back in the pantry, and I'm like, okay, you can't count this day. And I did that over and over and over and over again when I was trying to get this last abstinence. And one day... I didn't stop on my way home, and I didn't go in the pantry, and I was like, day one, and that was September 28, 2015, and that's the only way I got my abstinence, like, not, like that first time that that thing happened must have been some fluke where everything went away, and there were no thoughts, and it was great, but that's not what happened for me this time. I just had to stop doing what I was doing a day at a time, and so I've done that, um, and, my, and, and working the steps this time, 
I've really started to understand what being powerless over food means. Um, once I start eating certain things, I uh, don't know when I'm going to stop. And then when I'm stopped, I don't know when I'm going to start again. And that's really a scary place to be. And that's extremely, uh, that to me, that's powerlessness over the food. And, um, and then my whole entire life becomes related or surrounds that issue. And things just start to get really unmanageable and the wheels start to fall off. And, um, and really just <laughs> recently have I come to understand that, like, what my higher power is and for me I was like I was always kind of skating around without really understanding and now that I kind of understand more so what my higher power is now I know how to pray to my higher power and that's been really important is to understand how to approach um, my higher power and what to say um, in my prayer and meditation and my um, my amends were really um, I'm not, like, purposely skipping over, like, steps five, six, and seven, but I just do want to say that amends are really important, and I had to make amends to my brother three times because I didn't do it right the first two times. Um, so it was important, and, and my parents' amends I've had to make a couple times. I just kind of was like, yeah, I did it. My sponsor's like, what did you say? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, what did you say? You know, and it wasn't what I was supposed to say. And so these experiences, though, are very humbling for me because I don't, I don't like them, but then I do them anyways because I know I have to take the action in order to stay um, an Overeaters Anonymous and have some recovery. And... The quiet time in the morning and at night, you know, it suggests that we do both. And I, and I, um, I would say like 80% of the time I do both. And I would say like 70% of the time I do one, 75, because I'm not perfect. And people say I'm perfect, but I just thought I would quantify it for you all in case anyone's curious how many times I'm praying and meditating over the course of a year. And, um, and it changes and it looks different and I am not a creature of habit. I like change. I um <clears throat> I moved back down to, to Orange County for a job in two thousand and sixteen and right after I moved down there I met a man on the beach and he is now my husband and if I can get married I mean I just want to say something really quick before I wrap up. So people would complain about their husbands and their kids and meetings and I'm like how did you find a husband <laughs> first of all like that you like somebody enough to get married and so because I had been in I mean this is not a relationship inventory but I had been in a lot of relationships and I was like a serial relationship person and um not long term very very short and so I when I say I have a husband if anybody knew me, you would be doing like a standing round of applause and 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 married to somebody who like is like much of a a better person than i um and and really teaches me every single day like really honestly like how to um conduct oneself in the world because I'm always like trying to skate around you know and look for ways to maybe not do things all on the up and up. And he's like, yeah, we don't do that in this family. And he makes me, he helps me. Um, <laughs> he helps me uh, feel my feelings. And that's really important. So when my when when something comes up, he doesn't let, and, and I'm trying to like jet off to the next thing, we talk about it. 
um, and we talk about what's going on, and that is really helpful when you're trying to um, not be, you know, active and as a compulsive overeater. So it's just been a huge learning for me. I now live in Tucson, Arizona, and it is so true that I, these podcasts are so important when you don't live here. We have two sometimes three meetings a day and like on a couple days the two meetings are at the same time I'm like oh, come on um <laughs> which is like makes me but then you know somebody probably like got a resentment of somebody else here. <laughs> <laughs> um when I was at the international convention there's like a little thing of, anyways whatever um who knows what is but the but these I listen to these podcasts at least once a week I pick up and listen to a podcast and so these have been really instrumental in my recovery as well and I think I just have um um, a couple of minutes left, so I want to just um, wrap up. And if there anyone has questions, happy to take them. So basically, it was about that I I I used to sometimes still do be really concerned with what other people think about me and am I more internally driven now or do I still feel like I am externally driven by this? phenomenon and I think um, that's just a huge process and a huge learning curve and it's really dangerous for me when like I am because if I'm at the effect of what other people think if someone's thinking negatively about me I'm really in a bad position and so I try not to put myself in bad positions anymore and um, it's like what is the story I'm telling to myself about myself is my story that like everyone's thinking like really bad things about me because then I'm going to like really be having a bad day (laughs) you know or do I just go on with an attitude of like it's not that I don't like it's not that I don't care what other people think about me it's just that I care more about what I think about me mm-hmm. and that to me is like the turning point you know it's like I, what what my self-perception is is more important than what your perception of me is does that make and I think in in the yeah and like my connection to my higher power and like that like that connection and that thing is what is what is more important also than like what other people think about me is that I know I have a higher power in my life is divinely inspired and divinely unfolding in perfect order and that um and then when I think like that it's like all this little stuff the volume gets turned down as well thank you um the question was what does my higher power higher power look like and how has it evolved over my recovery well like I said at first I mean my higher power like I had a hard time defining it because I didn't really see how it was what or how it fit into my life and I've had some experiences in the last year um, that have really helped me to understand um, that God is like oh like God's plan is always unfolding and that I don't think like for me my higher power like doesn't really care whether I live in LA Orange County Tucson Ohio (laughs) or wherever it's that um my higher power wants me in a place where I am happy so that I can be useful to, like, myself and others. And that whatever that means and however I can get there, um, that, that that's the most important thing. And that things will unfold in divine order if I allow them and if I'm paying attention and looking for them. As long as I'm paying attention and looking and doing, like, I love 86 through 88. Like, it gives me instructions on how to do that, like, on how to... Um, create a relationship with a higher power and pause and agitator doubtful and keep praying and keep asking for is this the next right thought or action so it's not always the next right action the next right action could be thinking a different thought the question was about um if i use affirmations and which ones 
serenity prayer, like sometimes the we form of the serenity prayer when I'm all alone <laughs> can be helpful. Um, the third step prayer, like I said, 86 um, through 88, I can open the book and like read something that's helpful. Phone calls, staying connected. I make a lot of phone calls. I do like at least three calls a day um, on a consistent basis. And that, that I've actually done consistently for the past probably three years. Uh, the question was, how am I doing today with balancing more than one program? Um, I actually have found a kind of a sweet spot. Um, my life isn't as, in Tucson, my life is a lot different, and I have a lot more time to do things like go to meetings and find balance. Um, and so I usually just go to like a couple of each a week. And for me, I've always gone to a lot of meetings, and so um, going to four to five meetings a week is not a problem for me. And... Um, but because the, the connection isn't as strong, I mean, the meetings are very different over there, and there's not as much of a young person population. And so I continue to call people from Los Angeles, from Orange County, um, to stay connected in that way. Um, and my sponsor out there, um, one of my, my other program sponsor out there, is extremely balanced, so I think that helps a lot, too. And... Um, so I think it's just about finding that sweet spot, you know, where I'm not feeling overwhelmed by doing two programs, but I'm feeling um, supported. And But it is, I will say it is easier out there. I do have more time. Mm -hmm. Sure. So the question was, what does my food look like today? Um, there's a couple of things that I just try to stay very, very far away from. Not try. I do stay very far away from. Um, there are certain behaviors that I don't do anymore because, for me, it was about the behaviors. And there are certain types of exercise that I don't do anymore. Um, and my food uh, is, is variable just depending on where I'm at. When I first got abstinent, I would call in my food all the time. And... Um, and now I don't need to do that. I send it in at the end of the day. So I think for me what my food looks like is accountability and honesty. Uh, and that seems to be working. So thank you very much.